Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 145, Psalm 145, a Psalm of David. If you take a moment to find that, that's either in the blue Bible in front of you or the Bible that you brought with us, Psalm 145. If, If someone says to you, I'm all tapped out, you understand what they mean? Somebody comes to you and say, hey, can I borrow $5? You'd open up your wallet, nothing's in there, and you say, sorry, buddy, I'm all tapped out. <clears throat> if you're a wrestling fan, you get pinned, you can't move, you can't go forward, you don't have any energy, <clears throat> you tap out. You, I'm done, I'm done, I can't, I can't move forward, I don't have any more energy, I don't have any way to move, any way to go Maybe you've uh, felt this way when you've come home from a long day of work, felt tapped out, or if you've had three or four kids all day with you and you finally get them in bed and then you have to get them in bed one more time, and then a friend calls you with an emotional problem, <laughs> and you open up your emotional wallet and you say, I'm sorry, friend, I'm all tapped out. I mean, you're just, you're done, you're tapped out. I had several meetings with people this week, and although nobody used this exact phrase, they were all tapped out. I had a friend, a pastor friend, that I was going to meet with, and prior to the meeting, I was texting him saying, hey, just checking up on you, how's it going before we meet together? No response. So I just resent the text, no response. Then about an hour before we were supposed to meet, he's like, I'm sorry, Paul, I I just, every time I want to answer your text message, just when I get my phone in front of me, I have zero energy. And then I met with him and I thought, yeah, you're all tapped out. You're all tapped out. And maybe, maybe I was feeling that from them and I was sensitive to their feeling tapped out because I was feeling tapped out this week. It wasn't anything especially difficult about the week. It was more the cumulative effect of the last few weeks or maybe the last few months. So as I sat in my study on Wednesday and I thought, I just can't start the sermon series this week on Philippians, I thought it would be helpful to revisit a psalm, a psalm that's helpful for my soul, a psalm I hope you will find helpful it's a psalm I preached on four years ago, so I feel confident that only the sharpest of us will remember what I said. And I'll be looking forward to your report at the door. <clears throat> but the title of the psalm at that point was called The Glory War. Might might say it's I'm all tapped out now. But we will begin the Philippians sermon next week because my understanding is when you feel tapped out, it only lasts about a week and then you get right back. So we'll be okay. Psalm 145, let's read this together and just enjoy the words of the Lord. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. 
They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud to your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his works, in all of his words, and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all those who are falling. The Lord upholds all those who are tapped out. All who are bound on the eyes all look to you and give them their food in due season. You open your heart and you satisfy the of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his way and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on to all truth. He fills the desires of him. The Lord preserves all who love him. And he will enjoy. My mouth speak the praise of the Lord and let us bless holy name forever and ever. Amen. David was the writer of the song. Chapter 16, the, the first time David ever speaks in the Bible is when he's having this battle, first battle against the Philistines and the giant Goliath. The very last thing we find out David does in Second Samuel, the very end, is he numbers, he counts his army. So David is a man who is, has fought in many wars, but he understands <clears throat> that his greatest battle is not against the Philistines. His greatest battle is against himself. He's in what I'm going to call the glory war. <clears throat> David's heart is easily divided. And he's deciding which, which thing he's going to fill up his heart with. And that's the case with every human being. Every human being is hardwired for glory. We're all designed to connect ourselves with someone or something that would satisfy our hearts. The great 4th century theologian says it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. You hear that? I have a heart that has a hole in it. And it's restless and it's looking for things. And it's going to go out and grab some things and try to put them into that hole. And there's only one thing Augustine understands that fits in that hole. There's only one thing David understands that fits in that hole. That's actually the Lord himself. Or maybe you'd be more familiar with the contemporary theologian Bruce Springsteen. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody, no exceptions. You wake up with a hungry heart. You will reach out for something or someone to feel, fill that hunger. And the question is, what will you use? What will you chase? 
What will you focus on to find that rest? When you're, when you're tapped out, you reach out. You're going to reach out for something to say, I just can't do it on my own energy anymore, so I'm going to reach out and find something or someone who's going to provide that energy for me. Many people use things from creation to fill up those empty spaces, and no doubt God has made a, a tremendous creation, something for us to enjoy. I wonder what captures your attention about God's creation. For me, it's just creation itself. I love taking my little <clears throat> 20-foot Carolina skiff out of Masonboro Inlet, not to do anything but just be amazed, just to get out in that little cork and just stand there and just be amazed at the power and the immensity and the endless horizon. It just helps me think about how big God is and how, how small I am. Maybe you've recently had a baby or, for me, a granddaughter. And you just stare at them. And you're just amazed. You're just amazed. I had something to do with this. It's an incredible part of God's creation. Maybe it's a beautiful piece of music that somebody created. And you're like me. You find that one piece and you just hit repeat over and over and over all day. Because it, it, it speaks to you in some way. And all those, those things are great those things are created things. They're not the creator. Those are things that are great, but they're not intended to be ultimate things. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, understands we all share in this problem is that we've taken created things and tried to stuff it into a place that only the creator fits. He says this in Romans chapter 1. Human beings claiming to be wise became fools because they exchanged the glory of God for for images, images of created things. They exchanged the creation for the creator. They exchanged the design for the designer. And whenever you make something that's been designed, whenever you make something that's been created your destination, you're in for a disaster, no matter how wonderful that thing may be. Because of our sinful condition, we're now all in this glory war. We're all in this place where we find Augustine's words to be true. Where we have a restless heart. We have a, a hungry heart. When we have a tapped out life, we're looking for those things. And, and what's going to fill up those things? And for the most part, when we reach out to those things, what we're really doing is we're making ourselves primary. I've got a need and that's the most important thing and I'm going to reach out and get this person or this thing and it's going to make me happy and we find ourselves as the created thing that we worship most often. What Paul wants, what Paul is comfortable with, what he desires, they just turn into be primary. We're like the parrot. I don't know if you know this about parrots. Parrots are are meant to mate with one other parrot and they're fiercely loyal for the rest of their lives to that one parrot. But if you put one parrot just in a cage, never has a chance to find that mate. And so owners will put a mirror in the cage. Have you ever seen this? Put the mirror in the cage. And what does the parrot do? Stares at the mirror, thinking it's that mate. And the single parrot falls in love fiercely with himself. 
sin is like a cage. And we put a mirror in it. And we know we're designed to be fiercely loyal to something or someone, but sin has blocked us away from knowing who Jesus is. So we get the mirror and say, well, I must be, I must be most important. I've fallen in love with myself, and now I'm fiercely loyal to myself. Thankfully, we have the gospel, which is not the point of this particular test, text, but the gospel sets us free. You remember Wesley's uh, words, uh, a light came into this uh, imprisoned soul. And what happened? Chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed. Think that's the greatness of the gospel is I was in love with myself. I was stuck in this cage trying to fill up my hungry heart with things that would never fit there. But I, but I discovered the gospel by God's grace, and now I'm free to live in a different way. But even though I'm free, and many of you are free, we're still in a glory war. We still wake up tempted to go back and look at the mirror, tempted to go back and look at a created thing and say to that thing, that's what's going to satisfy my soul. And David, David's familiar with the war. He's familiar with fighting for himself, fighting against his desires. So he writes 145, Psalm 145, because he knows the, the surest way to, to win the glory war, to get away from all these things that are created and get to the creator is to meditate on the greatness of God, which is what Psalm 145 is about. Now, you don't see it in the English, but Psalm 145 is the Hebrew alphabet. It has 22 letters. In every verse, there's 22 verses, every verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's like David saying, hey, I'm going to tell you about God's greatness from A to Z. I'm going to, I'm going to cover the whole spectrum of God's greatness because that just understanding the volume of God's greatness is going to help reorient my life and redirect my hungers. Now, it's impossible to cover every letter here, but I just want to mention a few things. Three. First, verses one through three. I will extol you. I will exalt you, my God. I will bless your name forever. Every day, I will bless you. I will praise your name. Because I'm, I'm going to remember, I'm going to know, I'm going to tell myself, great is the Lord, verse three, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness his greatness is unsearchable. Notice the first thing David does in the song is he gives himself commands. It's a very key first step in fighting successfully in the glory war. He has to speak to himself. He's got all kinds of noise coming at him, all kinds of different voices coming at him, all kinds of competitors in the glory war. And he has to say, no, I'm going to speak to myself and I'm going to remind myself of these things that God is great. And I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to bless God. I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to say, God is, he's great. His splendor, his majesty is unmatched. His greatness is unsearchable. My question for, for you, for me in a tapped out season, what's the controlling narrative in your mind? 
You might ask yourself, what do you wake up thinking about? What first just comes to your mind as you wake up? That, that's probably getting towards a, a controlling narrative in your mind. Let's take an example of a high school girl. You think a typical 16, 17-year-old high school girl is in a glory war? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Think about the noise this young lady has to fight against. When she wakes up, she's in a battle the moment she opens her eyes. She's got natural hungers that have to be fulfilled. And what is she going to first reach for? Herself? Her makeup? The way she looks? The affirmation of a parent, a teacher, a coach? The affirmation of a boyfriend? The affirmation of grades? The way the world tells her she's supposed to operate or act like? You see, this is a massive glory war, and she has to decide right when her feet hit the floor what the controlling narrative is going to be for her every day. Some time ago, I was in an emotionally exhausting situation, and for several mornings in a row, I just took note of my first thought. And my first thought was, I hate I hate this situation. I hate this is happening. I hate that I have to go through this. And I thought, how many days in a row, Paul, has that been your first thought? And it was like a week. And I realized it served as a controlling narrative. It served like an anchor. And it just dragged me down all day long because this was the the thing that I was primarily concerned about. And so my question was, well, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this first thought to be I hate? I wonder if any of you have felt this way that before you get out of bed, you're already tapped out. Because you wake up with this anchor and you're like, I just can't even move. I've slept for eight hours, but I'm already tapped out. Well, it helped break that chain was verse 5, meditation. I exchanged the splendor and majesty of God for I hate. And it was a discipline. It's not a natural thing. It's something that I woke up and said, hey, I could just focus on my circumstances and my hate, and therefore I'm staring in the mirror of myself. Or I could say, no, the first thing I want to look at is the greatness of God. I want to make sure that's going to be the center of my orbit. That's not going to drive everything away as if these things aren't happening. They are happening, but I don't need them to be the anchor for my life. And that's what I was making. My circumstances became the anchor for my soul, and I had to exchange that. I had to exchange that for the splendor and majesty of God. So maybe you're in this battle. Maybe you're in that spot where you'd say, I needed to come today because I'm tapped out. I'm losing the war. And I would say just if that's where you are, the very first step is this step. And it might be helpful for you just for the rest of the week. I'm going to wake up and just the length of time it it caused me to read this psalm. How long was it? Two minutes, three minutes. 
from A to Z, I'm going to start my day by just focusing on the greatness of God. And I'm going to say, God, I'm going to hold on to one of these phrases as sort of the center of gravity for my life so that my circumstances don't move into that center spot. The second thing David does here is he, he builds his awe of God on the character of God. Notice in verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be, to be praised. He understands God's greatness, and we're going to talk about his character in just, in just a moment. But notice the logic of this phrase, great is the Lord. I've got a very high view of God, and so this high view translates into the greatness of my praise. But if you have a very low view of God, if you even just don't think about God that much, then you probably think a lot about yourself. I mean, God's out there, but basically he doesn't operate very well, best I can tell. Or I've got, I've got a lot of things to do. And you just, you just push yourself into the middle of your life, and the very first thing you think about is, here are all the things I got to do today. And they become the center. But for David, see, he understands God is great. God is operating the world from its beginning to end. And so this great God is greatly to be praised. His, his great, great theology, you might say, led to great doxology. Verse 8 and 9. Here's just one little tiny thread we're going to pull out of here of God's character. The Lord is gracious and merciful. So I, I understand God is great. How is he great? Let's go down one step. Because he's gracious and merciful to me. I have personally experienced the slowness of God's anger. His abounding steadfast love. I know that the Lord is good to all. His mercy it's over all things. God isn't angry at me. He's slow to anger. And I wonder if you're angry. Angry at the situation you find yourself in. Angry at the culture. Angry at the Republicans. Angry at the Democrats. Angry at whatever. Angry. Angry people believe they're always right. That's why they're angry. I mean, I can't believe my spouse doesn't think the way I think. I can't believe my kids don't think the way I think. I can't believe my boss doesn't operate the way I think. I can't believe the government doesn't do this. I mean, you're always right. And there's so many dumb people out there, they're easy to be angry with all of them. And so you just find yourself, I'm at the center, and I have this low boil of anger because I wouldn't say it this way, but I'm in awe of my own wisdom. Anger has this functional control. So what breaks that chain? Verse 8 and 9, I recall the slow anger and steadfast love of the Lord. Now just think about this for a minute. Think about it. What if you sat down with God to review your personal stats? Okay, Paul, let's just take a look at your week this week. Okay? Would you want to do that every week? Uh, no. I don't want him to review an hour with me. Forget a whole week. And what I can know is God, he's actually right all the time. He is right. 
He's not like me that I'm not right most of the time. He's right all the time, and he comes to me who thinks he's right most of the time, and he's slow to anger. He comes with mercy. Every morning he wakes up to say, Paul, I brought you mercy. I'm meeting you every morning with mercy. I'm meeting you every morning with grace. I'm meeting you every morning with steadfast love. Isn't that amazing? And when you see, when you absorb, when you take in that real characteristic of God, then it begins to change the core of your frustration and anger. And you go out into a world that now it's angry. And you don't have to participate in that anger. And the reason you don't have to participate in it is you have an incredible love of God that's sitting at the core of your being and controlling your actions and your attitudes. That's how that chain gets broken. But it's something you have to discipline yourself for. You can't just say, well, gosh, I hope it happens this week. That's not going to happen. You've got to wake up and say, I'm, I'm beginning to think differently. I'm reading the words of God. I'm putting those things into my mind and, and into to my world. Finally, when that happens, and I trust that it will, even if you're tapped out today, you don't have to stay there. But as you read Psalm 145, as your hungry heart gets filled with the Lord what happens is it begins to overflow. And you see it all the way through. Verse 4, I, I will commend, one generation will commend these things to another. I mean, now that I've fill, been filled up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this stuff out. I'm going to pour forth your fame, verse 11, verse, or verse 7, verse 11. I'm going to speak of your glory. I'm going to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And I love how he moves from verse 1 to verse 22. The first verse, I will extol. He's gotten so filled up, he says, we all are going to say it. When you're tapped out, and then you tap into the mercy and love of God, and he begins to fill up your soul, then you're able to overflow and engage in a hostile environment. I want to close with this illustration from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott married Elizabeth Elliott. She, they were both missionaries. And Jim Elliott well, had a promising career as a minister in the United States, but at age 22, he saw that people in South America never heard of God. So he thought he would go to South America and reach a particular tribe in South America. And as he tried to reach into their world, they reached into his and killed him. Him and these other four missionaries with him. The fascinating part about the story is then their wives go down to try to minister and this tribe actually meets the Lord. It's an incredible story. Um, but that's not the point of this particular illustration. When Jim Elliott decided to move to South America, he wrote a letter to his parents informing him that, informing them that he's moving. And they wrote a letter back saying they weren't happy about his decision. Here's what he wrote in response to their letter. Grieve not if your sons seem to desert you. 
Imagine hearing this as a parent. But rejoice rather seeing the will of God done. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said they were a heritage from the Lord, and every man should be happy who has a quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full? Of, of but arrows. And what are arrows for? But to shoot. I love this closing statement. So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly. All of them straight at the enemy's host. Give thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. All thou spendest, Jesus will repay. I, I, I just want you that to echo in your brain. Maybe you're just saying, Paul, I'm tapped out. And really what I need to do is just tap into the greatness of God. Great, that's great. But at some point you're going to tap in and he's going to want you to move out in some way. And I want you to know all you spend, all the effort you give in a ministry, in a person, in a marriage, in a family, any way you spend it, one day to be sure God is going to repay. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, as I, I stand here today, I know the gauge for Paul Phillips is tapped out. But I don't know. I don't know the gauges in this room. I don't know if they're full or empty. But my prayer is that these words from 3,000 years ago from King David, a man who had to fight in many glory wars to fight against his own desires, that these words would help us focus ourselves here today on your greatness, your mercy, your grace, your steadfast love. Would you begin to pour your spirit back into the lives of your people so that as we exit this calm hour into a world that continues to grow in chaos, we don't have to grow in chaos. We can grow in calmness because of the greatness that you have showed us. And all that we spend, you will one day repay. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.